Let me read a verse to you. I don't know if I got this out or not. Uh, page number 671 or Psalms 149. Just a verse to kind of get our minds moving in a general direction of uh, what we're doing in these services. Psalms 149 and verse number 6. If you don't have this verse marked in your Bible, this would be a good verse just to memorize because really this ought to be the, or this is, the responsibility of God's people as we live out these last days. Let me just read the verse. You kind of know what it means or what it says, but it says that verse 6 says this, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And can I just stop and say, boy, it ought to be in our mouth. Amen? And we ought to constantly being expre uh, be uh, expressing uh, the praises of God, just like they have done here in this service tonight. Man, it ought not to be something uncommon when God's people get together. Somebody's up just, man, letting the high praises of God be in their mouth. And we ought to do that. If for nothing else, just for saving us, taking away all of our yesterdays when we met, and to saving us by His grace, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Well, that's a good statement, isn't it? And if we'd practice that, they ain't no telling what our church services would be like. But it says this in verse number 6, and a two-edged sword in their hand. Somebody tell me what, a, what is the two-edged... There you go. There you go. How many of y'all got a two-edged sword in your hand? It'll cut you coming and it'll cut you going. Amen? And that's what we ought to have when we come to church. Hey, let the high praises of God be in our mouths. And then have a two-edged sword in our hand. And we ought to confront the world with that every day of our life. Let the high praises of God be in our mouth. Two-edged sword in our hand. What a, what a great verse. Well, in these days, we are looking through the Bible... And I'm talking about some of the great Bible words that every child of God should know. And of course, as the title simply suggests, we are emphasizing various words of the Bible. Words that we as God's people ought to be familiar with as we live out these last days upon the earth. Now, the one thing that I know is that God desires for us as his people to be familiar with our Bibles. There's no doubt Jesus knew his Bible. In fact, Jesus is the Bible. He is the living word. However, we also know that Jesus knew the Bible. He used the Bible his whole time while he was here upon this earth. He often quoted from the Bible. Of course, all he had was the Old Testament. Didn't have the New Testament at that point, but he oftentimes quoted from the Bible. And of course, his favorite book must have been the book of Deuteronomy because he quoted more from the book of Deuteronomy than he did any other book of the Bible. So he knew his Bible, and he desires for you and me to know our Bible as well. I've said recently in one of these services that we should know our Bibles in our head. We should stow our Bibles in our hearts. We should show our Bibles with our lives, and we should sow our Bibles in the world. Let's never be guilty of learning the Bible and then never sharing what we have found, the truths that we find in the Word of God. You know, a lot of people mark their Bible. The only problem is their Bible never marks them. And so let's get into the Bible. That's what we're attempting to do in these services. Just dig around a little bit in our Bible, looking at various words that we find 
find in the Bible. Now, of course, we're using as our outline to work our way through all this, our English alphabet. So several weeks ago, I don't know how many uh, this is now. Is K, is it the 11th letter, I think, of the alphabet? Somewhere along in there. But uh, for 11 weeks now, we've just been making our way through our English alphabet, the A, the B, and so forth. And tonight, we come all the way down to the letter K. Now, i got to tell you, every week when I go looking for some of these words, the one thing that I find is that most of these words, for instance, that begins with the letter K, they're either people's names or, their na or, or they are the name of places in the Bible. Now, of course, you and I know we got two books in our Bible that begin with the letter K. That is the book of First and the book of Second Kings. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that there are over 3,000, 3,237 people that are named in our Bible. Now, that's just the named ones. We know there's so many more that uh, wasn't named. Of that 3,237 uh, 3, people, only 188 of those people were, were ladies. There are only 188 named ladies throughout the Bible. But we find some very, very, I guess some familiar people, a few familiar people in the Bible whose name begins with the letter K. For instance, talking about ladies, what about this lady here? Her name was... Keturah. Now, if you're wondering who Keturah was, let me tell you this. She was the second wife of Abraham. We know that Abraham stayed married to Sarah until Sarah was 127 years old. I mean, that's how old she was when she died, his, his wife, Sarah. That meant Abraham was 137 years old when his wife died. But he wasn't through by any stretch of the imagination because right after she died, he married a woman by the name of Keturah at the age of 137, 138, somewhere in there, and he had six more boys. Isn't that a sight? Six more boys before he ever died. And Keturah was the second wife of Abraham. What about this one? What about this person? It's a man, and his name was Kohath. Kohath. You say, who? Kohu? Yeah, right. Kohath. Let me tell you who Kohath was. Kohath was the second son of Levi. And Kohath was the father, guess what, of the Kohathites. You say, who were the Kohathites? The Kohathites were people who had various responsibilities when it came to the Old Testament tabernacle. And if you'll read over the book of Numbers, you'll find those Kohathites were in charge of transporting the ark when the glory of God would lift off the ark and Israel knew it was time to leave, pack up and leave, the Kohathites would walk into the tabernacle. They would take down the veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of all. They would take that veil. They would wrap it around that Old Testament ark of the covenant. Then those Kohathites would go in with those long golden staves, staves and they would slide them through the rings on the bottom of that ark. And then the Kohathites picked that thing up and they had the the responsibility alone of walking with the Ark of the Covenant wherever the cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud of God led them in the wilderness. I'm telling you, but they had tremendous responsibility in the Old Testament tabernacle. So there's Keturah, Keturah and there's also, there's old Koath. Can I say this? I couldn't think, maybe you can, I couldn't think of one person in our New Testament whose name began with the letter K. Not one, can you? Not one person could I come up with in my mind in the New Testament whose name started with the letter K. But then there are some prominent places in our Bible that began with the letter K. 
Probably the most familiar place in all of the Bible that begins with the letter K is a place by the name of Kadesh Barnea. You ever heard of that place? Kadesh Barnea? It's right over here off Jonestown Road, just the other side of... No, I'm kidding. Kadesh Barnea. Let me tell you what that place was, a prominent place in the Bible, because that is the place that God brought the nation of Israel just a couple of years out of the land of Egypt. And it was there at Kadesh Barnea that they were faced with the decision of either following God and going ahead and taking possession of the land of Canaan or else rebelling against God. And we know Moses sent out the spies from Kadesh Barnea. They came back with the report. Man, I'll tell you, it's just like God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. We couldn't even bring a cluster. We had to get some guys to put a stave, tie them on. I'm telling you, it's a wonderful land. But you know, God forgot to mention them giants over there. And God didn't tell us that we was just going to be grasshoppers. And you remember, only two of those 12 come back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb at Kadesh Barnea, and the other 10 disbelieved God. And there at that place, God judged the nation of Israel and turned them back into the wilderness. And they would stay there until everybody that was 20 years old and upward at that particular point died before they would ever enter the promised land. Kadesh Barnea a very important place in our Bible. I tell you, I struggled finding some K words. But never fear. I come up with enough to try to share with you here in the service tonight. Now, the one thing that I've tried to do through this whole series is just stay away from the familiar words. And you'll have to forgive me tonight because my very first one is more of a familiar word. But I did think about this word. One of the first K words that popped into my mind is the word king. King. You know, reading and thinking about the king, the word king or some form of it appears some 2,327 times in our Bible. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, we have two books in our Bible that are named First and Second Kings. And those two books, along with First and Second Chronicles, basically, basically contain for us the history of Israel and her kings. And we know for the longest time, God led his people. God used Moses and Joshua to be the great leaders of the nation of Israel. And then, of course, Moses and Joshua died. And then God had a new plan. God would use some people called judges to lead the nation of Israel. Boy, that was a variety of people, some very colorful people that God used to lead uh, the nation of Israel. People like old left-handed Ehud. I like old Ehud. People like old uh, uh, fearful Gideon and messed up people like Jephthah. And God even used people like Samson. By the way, if God can use Samson, God can use you and me. I mean, God used some very colorful personalities to lead the nation of Israel during the time of, uh, of, of the judges known as judges themselves. And the last judge to ever lead or judge Israel was old Samuel. And Samuel was given by God the responsibility to transition the nation from a theocracy under the leadership of God to a monarchy under the leadership of a king. Thus, after the death of Samuel, Samuel, the nation of Israel, began with their kings. Now, the first king was Saul, 40 years. Second king, David, 40 years. Third king, Solomon, 40 years. The first three kings that Israel had, all three of them reigned for a period of 40 years. However, after the death of Solomon, 
The nation divided. The nation split into a southern kingdom and to a northern kingdom. Now, if you'll count up, go through, and I did it just, just so you wouldn't have to do it, but you can do it if you want to. But if you'll count them, starting after the split, after Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam, the nation split, and the southern kingdom of Israel had a total of 19 kings, and the northern kingdom of Israel had a total of 19 kings. Altogether, Israel had a total of 41 different kings. Now, that northern kingdom, those 19 that led the northern kingdom, not, excuse my English, but not nary one of them was a good king. The closest thing that I guess they came to in the northern kingdom of having a good king was a king by the name of Jehu. I like old Jehu. He was the closest thing that Israel had to a good king in the northern kingdom, and he was wicked as he could be. But the northern kingdom, they did a little better because out of their 19 kings, eight of those kings were good kings, eight of them. And God would have mercy on the southern kingdom, and because of that, the southern kingdom of Israel lasted about 150 years longer than the northern kingdom did. The northern kingdom was carried off in the Assyrian captivity. The southern kingdom was carried off in the Babylonian captivity, but they lasted longer, and the reason they lasted longer is because every once in a while they had a good team. Boy, it speaks a little bit about the importance of leadership in a nation. The Bible said, in, is it Proverbs 29, I think, maybe verse 1, the Bible said that when the wicked are in authority, the people mourn. But when the righteous beareth rule, the people rejoice. I mean, we've had, and I don't, think, I don't know if Donald Trump is saved. I have no idea. But the last four years, we've kind of, haven't we? Now it's back to. <laughs> the Bible is true. You've got righteous leadership or people that believe the Bible, want to do the Bible, people are happy. You've got wicked leadership, the people mourn. We find that in the nation, in the nation of Israel. But how could I talk about the king without mentioning Israel's greatest king? And that wasn't King David. That wasn't King Solomon. I'm speaking about the Lord Jesus himself because he is referred to as the king. Listen to this. In Matthew 2, verse 2, he's the king of the Jews. In John 1, 49, he's the king of Israel. In Revelation 15, 3, he's the king of the saints. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, he's the king of the ages. In Hebrews 7, 1, he's the king of righteousness. In Daniel 4, 37, he's the king of heaven. In Psalms 24, 7, he's the king of glory. And in Revelation 19, 12, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm talking about our king. Amen. And one day that king's coming back. He's going to sit on the throne, brother, and he's going to call the shots on this land for a thousand glorious years, and then the eternity of eternities is going to be with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I just want to say this. He's the racial king. He's the national king. He's the spiritual king. He's the historical king. He's the celestial king, and he's the supernal king. He's king. That good, that's a good word in our Bible, the word king. Now, let's move to a second one now. That's pretty obvious. But now this one I might have to explain a little bit, and that's this word, kinsman, redeemer. Now, what in the world is a kinsman 
Redeemer. Well, if you're familiar, and I know most of you are, with the book of Ruth, that phrase occurs some eight times in the book of Ruth. And that whole story, as much as we'd like to make it about Ruth, I mean, really, it, it, it could be called the book of Boaz <laughs> because Boaz is the hero of the book of Ruth. I mean, he is the kinsman redeemer that saved the day for Naomi and for Ruth. Let me tell you what a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was, was a male person, a male, a male person that was not married and that had the responsibility or could take the responsibility for his family. And as I went through my Bible the other day, I found three responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer. The first thing that a kinsman redeemer had the responsibility to, to do was to propagate his family. Now, what I mean by that is this. If this man died, if a man died, then it was the responsibility, and he didn't have any children with his wife, it was the responsibility of his brother to step into that situation and to become the wife and to raise up seed for his brother. He was referred to as a kinsman Redeemer. Remember the story Jesus told over the gospel of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, Pharise the Sadducees come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, uh, we've got a question for you. You know, you're always talking about this resurrection and stuff. Well, let me just tell you, Jesus, there was this man that had a wife and he died and didn't have any children. So his brother stepped in and became her husband and, and uh, then he died, didn't have any children. He said, Jesus, we just want to tell you there were seven of these boys that married that same woman. And we'd just like to know in the resurrection whose wife is she going to be? Now, my question would be, who'd want her? <laughs> Got to have an amen. But, we just like to know. But you got to remember, in the Old Testament, it was the responsibility of the brother to step in and raise up children for his brother and play the part of a kinsman redeemer. It was the kinsman redeemer had the responsibility of, of, of propagating the family. Number two, the kinsman redeemer had the, the responsibility of providing for the family. For instance, we know the story in the book of Ruth, how that Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Chilion went down into Moab, never go to Moab. And uh, while they were down there, those three men died. So here comes Naomi and Ruth back. They don't have a penny to their name. While they've been down there for 10 years almost, they've lost everything they've got. Their house is gone. The land is gone. It's all gone. And there was only one person that could step in and get all that back for them. And of course, we know that's the hero of the book of Ruth, that's a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz, being kin to the family, being close of kin to the family, could redeem, he could buy back everything that they had lost. He could give it, give it back to them. So he had the responsibility of providing for the family, but he also had the responsibility of protecting the family. I didn't know this till I got to digging into this this week. Did you know in the Old Testament when we read about an avenger of blood, it's the same thing as a kinsman redeemer, a, a, an avenger of blood. What does that mean? Well, you remember in the Old Testament, we're told about maybe two men that are out chopping wood in the field or whatever, and one of them's axe head falls off while he's swinging the axe, and it comes, and it lights. I like how the Bible said it lights upon his friend's head. It lights upon his head. <laughs> well, maybe you didn't get that, but I've always, that's always struck me funny when he's chopping wood, and the axe head flies off and just lights upon his head. I don't, I don't know why I think that's funny every time. I read about that. However, and it killed him. Well, if that guy had a brother, that brother could step in 
And even though that man may not have meant for that, it was not a malicious act with malicious intention. I mean, according to, the, according to the law, that avenger of blood could step in and kill that man because he killed his brother. So in reality, he had the responsibility of protecting his family. That's the reason they established the cities of refuge. Remember that in the Bible, the city of refuge, that a man, if he didn't kill, if he killed somebody, but he didn't do it intentionally, he could run to the city of refuge and he could stay there till the high priest died. Aren't you glad our high priest ain't never going to die? Aren't you glad we can live eternally in the city of refuge? And brother, the avenger of blood can't get to us because our high priest will never die and we enter the city of refuge. And all of that, and it's, it's really, a, a kinsman redeemer really plays an important part in the Bible. But can I tell you something? All that is, is just pointing to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Think about this. We would not be in the family were it not for our kinsman redeemer. We would not get back everything that Adam lost were it not for our kinsman redeemer. We would not be protected tonight were it not for our kinsman redeemer. By the way, he's going to destroy our great enemy some of these days. He's going, you know, the Bible said the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Aren't you glad we got a kinsman redeemer that is going to protect his people? So we have king. Number two, we have kinsman redeemer. Now here's a third K word. Now, forgive me for this one. I'm going to explain it to you, and that's this. Korah. Now, why would I use a name in a list of Bible words? Well, it's really what the story of Korah stands for in our Bible. How many of y'all have ever heard the story? Or if you've read your Bible, I know you've read the story. But there is a person in our Old Testament whose name was Korah. Now he, it was a man, this one was a man. I'm going to tell you about a woman in a minute. But uh, this guy was a, was a man. He was a man of renown, so says the Bible. So in other words, he was a very prominent man in the nation of Israel. And the Bible said that guy, his name was Korah, he got crossways with the authority of Moses. In fact, he got so crossways with it that he started actually questioning the authority of of Moses. Here's what he said about it. Number 16, verse number 3. They gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon yourself. In other words, they said, You think you're the only one around here God speaks through. You, you, think, you think you're the only one around here that can lead this nation. Well, Mr. Moses, we got news for you. And Aaron, you listen too, low down you. I tell you, there's more people around here than just y'all. And there's more people that can run this nation than just you. And they got sideways with Moses. I'm talking about Korah. He led a rebellion against God's man, against the man of God, against old Moses. Let me tell you something, and please hear me when I say this, but God has certain lines drawn. God has certain people in the church who do certain things in the church, and God equips those people and calls those people to do those things. 
And if, if we're not careful, sometimes in churches, people can try to step over the line into an area that God has not called them to get into that area, nor spiritually gifted and equipped them to do that in that area, but they can take, uh, try to take authority, maybe usurp their authority, and step into an area that God never intended for them to step into to their own detriment. Now, I told you a minute ago about Cora the man. Let me tell you about Cora the woman. Years ago, I got saved when I was 16, and when I got 18, the church my mom and daddy attended uh, seemed like there was always fuss in there. And I got saved when I was 16, and, and I wasn't perfect, but I, I, did, I, wanted, I wanted to live for the Lord. We didn't have youth pastors and youth meetings, and, and there wasn't camp, teen camp meetings. We had none of that. People my age had to do everything the old folks did. I mean, if they watched Another World, I had to watch Another World. I mean, that's just the way it went. Some of y'all still watching that. I can just tell by, you dropped your head when I said that just a moment ago. But that's just how it was back in those days. But I really wanted to live for God, but I mean, there was no, not a lot of encouragement. Went to a public school, even back in those days. I mean, people didn't, you know, they, they didn't love God, love Jesus. And so, uh, man, I struggled along in those early years. But when I got 18 years old, I, I went to my daddy and I said to my daddy, I said, I'd like to go find me a church to go to. And my daddy said, if you find a good, let me know and I'll come with you. That's what my daddy said. But anyway, I went, I went to Little Mountain Baptist Church. And things were hitting on all eight cylinders at that church. That preacher kind of took me under his wing and helped me and gave me a push in the right direction and taught me right and, and invested his life and time in my life and, and uh, just helped me, so, helped me immensely. But about probably, I don't know, four or five years, probably four years after I went there, there was a faction in that church that got against our preacher. And in essence, they said what these fellows said. Preacher, you take too much upon you. Preacher, you're not the only one around here that can do that. Preacher, we think we can do just as good as you could. And incidentally, the man that got crossways with our preacher had a wife whose name was Cora. He's still got folks alive, kin people alive to this day. Well, not now. She's gone. But they got against our preacher. I mean, went, went against him bad. And it got really ugly at our church during those days. It was real bad. I remember the Wednesday night. Many of y'all remember the Wednesday night here years ago down at the old location. Well, we had one of those Wednesday night meetings in our church. The things kind of just come to a head. And I had been working on a, a man that drove a Pepsi truck. And his name was Mike. And I got old Mike to come to church with me on that Wednesday night, lost as a ball in high weeds. The preacher got up and said, we're not having preaching tonight. I'm going to dismiss all the visitors. All the visitors can just leave. Thank you all for coming. Hope you'll come back again. And Mike told me after that happened that night, he said, I'll never, ever go back to church again. Now, that's how church fights hurts lost people. That's the reason I say the devil had rather start one church fight than 25 barroom fights. Because the implications are so more far-reaching in the lives of people. That's what we expect people down at the beer joint to do. Fuss and fight, cut each other, cuss each other. But when it comes to church, that's not how God's people are supposed to act. Can I have an amen? That's not at all how we're supposed to act. Boy, it come to a head that night. I can remember those people, and I was downstairs with my preacher one day. And you say, who'd you side with? I sided with the preacher. Can I tell you something about preachers? Because I are one. They're not perfect. 
They are not perfect. You know why? Because I'm not perfect. Can I tell you something? In 25 years of this church, I haven't always handled everything in the right way. There's some things right now, if I could go back and handle them a different way, I, I would handle them differently. And God's going to straighten all that out at the judgment. You know something? At the judgment seat, there's a whole lot of people who's going to owe me an apology. And can I tell you something? There's a whole lot of people at the judgment seat, Jesus is going to look at me and say, Brother Tim, you, you owe them an apology. Because I didn't handle it right. I'm not going to tell you that I've always done everything, handled every situation right. I'm just like you. Sometimes I bow up just like you bow up. Sometimes I blow up just like you blow up. And I can't say, I can't truthfully say that I've handled everything right in 25 years. I know there's some people I'm going to have to apologize to one of these days. I'm just too proud to do it right now. We'll get it straight at the judgment seat. Y'all pray for me. Preachers aren't perfect. They're not. But can I tell you this? They're God's men. They're God's men. And the best thing that... Any, by the way, I'm preaching this to myself. You say, boy, boy, Brother Tim's really helping himself tonight. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm going to have to go somewhere and join a church some of these days. I'm going to have to sit where you sit and listen to a man of God get in the pulpit every Sunday and preach the Word of God. But woe be unto me to ever give that man a minute's trouble as he pastors that church. Because that is a place and that is a position that God says, hands off, mouths off, leave them alone. Isn't there a verse that says something like this, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm? A lot of people, just like Okorah, to their own danger and detriment have crossed a line stepped over into an area that God never intended for them to step into because he hadn't caused them to step into it. Stay out of it, God said. I got my people. They'll take care of things. You just pray for them, love them, uh, overlook their faults, try to move on with them, whatever, but keep your hands and your mouth off my prophets, my preachers. Can I have an amen? I'm going to have to go somewhere and and uh, listen to somebody some of these days, and I just want to sit there and love him and pray for him and just smile and laugh when people get after him. I'm just going to laugh at him. I'll pray for him, but I'm going to smile. I done told, I told Brother Mark all the time, now look, son, let me tell you something. If you ever get into trouble and call me and want advice, I'm just going to laugh at you. Old, old Brother Daniel, I, all these preachers that go out of our church, they call. I had one call me this week, said, Preacher, what am I supposed to do? So-and-so's happened. I said, Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> but I'm telling you something. Don't pull a Cora. You know something? I don't think we have any Coras in here, do we? Just looking around. I don't think we have any Coras in here. But I'm just saying, boy, God, you know what happened to Korah? The Bible said that the earth, did I use that verse? Watch this. Korah, the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their good. Can I say it like this? They fell into hell alive. You know why? They crossed a line that God never intended for them to cross. Korah, what a story. 
Let me give you this last one. So we got, what do we got? Kings, kinsmen, Korah. What about this one? We're done. Kindness. Kindness. Listen to this and we're done. Uh, the word kindness is found some 58 times throughout the Bible. You know, one of the greatest attributes of God is that he is a very kind God. In fact, we're told about the kindness of God. Look at this verse in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. That was he was singing about. That was our yesterdays. But then watch this next verse. But after that, the, what's the next word? Kindness and love of God, our Savior, to, appeared uh, toward man, appeared. Aren't you glad for the kindness of God? Aren't you glad? I wrote down this, some synonyms for the word kindness, cordial, courteous, forbearance, gentle, good, gracious, gracious, patient, sweet, tender, thoughtful. That's my God. He is a kind God. Look at this verse, Ephesians 2, verse 7. We're going, that in the ages to come, He might show forth, show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He is a kind, loving God. In fact, if you'll go through the book of Psalms, you'll find out that love is linked to God's kindness because we're constantly reading in the book of Psalms about God's loving kindness. He's a kind, kind God. Y'all forgive me. I'm really, that's the best I could do with them K words. It really was. That's the best I could do with them. But you just wait till next week, buddy. We're on what comes after K? Yeah, you just wait, buddy. Next week. It's going to be on. That's right. You just wait. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our Bible.